0: So I've spoken to quite a few people in the marketing space on this podcast, whether it's in terms of small businesses, freelancers, uh, full agencies, and obviously being a human capital intensive business, it's very difficult to scale. So I wanted to chat to someone who managed to do this successfully, uh, not just in South Africa, but also into the UK. And that's why today I'm chatting to Tom Manners. He is the co-CEO of Clockwork, and they have gotten to the point of being a 150 person agency. And what's most interesting in the build up towards this conversation is the fact that even at this size, they're still rethinking their own market positioning, their own structure and their own strategy. So I think this is a very interesting conversation about scaling, but just how problems continue and just evolve as you keep going.
1: I thought that that would be a very cut and dry approach. right? But there are numerous sort of bounce offs that you don't expect in terms of the creaking of your processes and systems in reaction to all of the new work. Um, you know, maybe some uh, some cultural, uh, not I wouldn't say dissatisfaction, but sort of a loss of cultural identity around, you know, running around and just trying to get the work done. And then also internal conversations about the importance of profitability versus, you know, chasing a purpose or, you know, a set of values or being strategic, you know, because strategy and profitability don't always go hand in hand. Like a strategic outcome might result in you losing profitability in the short term um, in order to achieve a bigger goal.
0: Welcome to The Founder Files, the podcast that's like eavesdropping on a conversation with a successful entrepreneur over a fireside chat. Join me, Cameron Coots, through this unique experience of unfiltered stories and insights from scaling founders around the globe as they share their ups, downs, and everything in between. How's it, Tom and welcome to the founder files. Uh, I'm always excited to talk to the founder of a business that's scaled successfully internationally because just the, the, the stories are so insightful and I just understand the complexity of getting there is is really challenging and there's always this this nuance depending on business. So I can't can't wait to get into the into the details. But you know, in the build up towards this conversation, we were talking about how even at this size and scale, being a 150-person business, you're still having to rethink your positioning, rethink your strategy. Uh, and your structure and you know a lot of people think is like 150 person business kind of made it stable mature states and you're kind of rethinking uh the core all over again so i'm i'm really curious to hear about that story but before getting into that do you want to just tell me a bit about how you got to where you are now where now is like the timing where you're going through all these changes
1: sure thanks so much for having me bud it's nice to be with you today um, so i'm I'm going to take a step back and go right to the beginning because it influences um, directly what we'll be speaking about today. Um, so, I've never worked in an advertising agency before, and another has my partner, Nick, and that's an important point. We were both journalists in technology um, before we started clockwork and Clockwork. Uh, as an organization, if I'm being totally honest with you, never really started with a very clear strategy in mind. It was um, very iterative initially based on us creating content for public relations agencies, because that was our experience set um, and then bolting social on and then bolting PR on and then kind of doing that over and over again uh, until the point where sort of four or five years ago, uh, we were getting to hundred plus people, uh, getting some notoriety as an agency and um, you know generating some really interesting relationships with uh, some local and global clients. That were fairly sizable, um, so that's the, the the story. I mean, in thirty seconds of how we got here, but it's only really in the last couple of years that we had to take a step back. You know, we've operationally always been quite strong, and um, you know, had a had a very clear intent around delivering great work in an agile and thorough way. But, you know, when you get to a certain size, um, you know, 150 people today with three offices, um, you know, you are sometimes forced to take a look in the mirror and ask whether your structure, your setup, your processes, your approach, your positioning uh, is right for, you know, the times and the sort of place that you find yourself in. So, yeah, very, very short overview. But really, it's kind of been like building the plane while we've been flying it, and um, yeah, only in the last couple of years has it been more. It's always been a formalized business, obviously, but uh, sort of more structured and formalized business, and it's been quite a journey to get here. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it definitely has been. I'm just, I'm just smiling and laughing because it's like in thirty seconds, like, yeah, yeah, I started just in terms of like uh,
1: as journalists and we're
0: doing content creation for PR, and it's like, oh yeah, next thing you know, a hundred person business, and it's like, oh yeah, hundred and fifty people, like. <laughs> Cool. Wow. Cool. All right. Um. So, I really want to get into the current state now, but I think it's just we ran so quickly through that journey. Um, sure. You know, just just a couple, just at a high level, right? What were what were some of the things that, because even though it was emergent, you're building it while you're flying, it's just looking back as hindsight 2020, right? So, it's just like, what are, what are some of the key decisions that you made? that uh allowed you to get to that that 100 person mark um because i think i just want to treat that as a milestone we'll treat the 150 as a separate one like what are some of the key decisions that you made that got there but also some of the things that looking back is like you definitely would have done differently
1: uh, that's a really good question so yeah i probably did fast forward through the first sort of eight years of the business very very quickly um You know, it's it in an agent. An agency is a unique organization or or business type because it's it's service based. We sell hours effectively. We sell people's time, and so in order to grow, you have to hire more people. Um, That's our stock effectively. Um, And so, one of the biggest challenges we had to face when we were going through this growth um, process was understanding the different cycles in an agency's life from five people to 20 people to 50 people to 80 people because each of those steps has its own unique set of challenges that uh, come with us Uh, sorry come with it so to give you an example it's very easy very easy to um, organize and lead and direct 15 to 20 people you can have a one-on-one conversation with them you have a pretty good understanding as a leader on what each and every one of those people is doing at a given time There's no real requirement, you know, beyond a sort of Asana or Trello sort of project management structure to go much deeper than that. Um, And you can be very agile because you can move things around and tweak things and change things. When we got to 50 people, that suddenly started to change because we had to start morphing into teams. So you have teams inside uh, the greater organization that specialize in different things. In our case, it was, uh, you say, design, for example, or uh, writing or client service, public relations. And then you have to start getting leaders for those teams and those leaders have to downwardly manage those um, individuals and then you as a CEO have to keep some kind of handle on, um, you know what everyone's up to, but what we found in that situation is that we weren't quite big enough or established enough for some of the sort of larger ERP software um, that runs processes in bigger organizations which we have today and I'm happy to talk about. So, you know, again, then that was a sort of more um, sort of sprint-based approach that we'd take with teams. Then we had to start in- introducing, um, you know, review processes, KPIs, et cetera, um, with each of the individuals. We had to start uh, completely changing the way that we, all the cadences that we um, we we applied from uh, a meetings perspective. Now we had to have Manco and Exco or, Manco or Exco meetings. Um, and then we had to define exactly what people bring to those meetings. Um, And all of this was bootstrapped. All of it was created with absolutely no experience of running an agency or even working inside one. Um, You know, learning a lot from the employees that we were bringing on. One of our biggest lessons early on when we got to about 2017, when we got to about 70 or 80 people was starting to hire upwards um, in terms of investing in individuals with more experience than us in agencies that were larger than us uh, that can come in and ultimately teach us what we didn't know. I think, you know, you asked me, what were some of the mistakes that we made? You know, one that's, that um, resonates well with me is that, you know, when we hire, I always try now to make sure that the leadership teams that are coming into the business are, or the leadership individuals that are coming into the business have one foot in the sort of independent 150 person agency type mindset that we have. And then another foot in a slightly larger, maybe two, three, four years um, more mature organization rather than something coming in from a super exco level that has been detached from the work for, te- from te- uh, for 10 years out of a thousand person agency. Um, you know, there can be some challenges around that in terms of expectation, the tasks that they'll be doing, et cetera. So aligning those principles were quite important. Um, and then, you know, once we started getting to 100, 120, the game changed all over again. We had to implement some real um erp uh, software processes systems review all of that and you know, now what we're finding is getting to 150 160 people you know by the end of the year if a few conversations go right we could be at 180 or 190 we're being forced then to rethink the whole process and structure again um in order to answer the question of are we fit for purpose against the size we are and where the market is so it's a never-ending cycle of questioning um tweaking. um, And I think cleaning out processes or beliefs that we have had for several years, but might not be the right ones anymore. And that's like a muscle that you have to train. Um, Because it's quite easy, as you said, when you get to a mature state, look, I don't think any business is in a like a perpetually mature, this is fine, everything's perfect, especially when you're growing state. Um, But it's it's quite easy for time to go by rapidly. And, um, you know, not to stand back and ask yourself, well, is the way that we're doing, we've been doing things for the last five years, right? Or is it just an iteration on how we've been doing things because that's how we do it? So yeah, a lot there, sorry. But um, yeah, a little bit more information.
0: No, thank you. And uh, it's, I'm fine with a lot because I can just zoom out and look at the pattern across it. And it's, there's a lot of founders that, uh, the way that you've spoken about this, there's a lot of clear knowledge and wisdom and calm and clarity that you've spoken around is like, yeah, it was normal at the stage. I mean, again, I go back into the hindsight bias here, but it's also the point where it's, it's become such a norm in your way of thinking about your business is the fact that the change is constant, right? It's change of this iteration, we're gonna grow, we're gonna have to rethink things, et cetera. While a lot of, a lot of founders don't necessarily have the same mentality, they, they, these problems kind of just hit them, right? And it's like, okay, well, we, we've grown, we've thrown some people at the problem, we've gotten a, a bit bigger, but then some like internal problem or some other thing happens. And now we have to solve that because what are entrepreneurs are inherent problem solvers. But you seem to have a, the, a bit more foresight around this. And was, the, was this always the case? Uh, is this like, and, and where did you get that? Or did you start picking up the pattern after you got from five to 20 to fifty, And it was like, okay, well, this is going to keep happening. Um, I, I, like so did it just keep going and you kept up with it? or like did you have a bit more foresight and were you proactive?
1: Um, honestly, the first sort of three or t- four times um that happened, it felt like the world was ending. Um so no, I'm not uh, infinitely wise, and i'll I'll touch on where we get the sort of calmer approach in a moment. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was panic stations, especially in the beginning. You know, scaling from 5 to 25 people is a 5x um, increase. That's big. You know, for clockwork to do that today, you know, we would end up being 750 people. It's a huge, huge jump and a very difficult adjustment. The pain is the same, though, um, whether you're 5 to 25 or 150 to 750. I hope I'm doing the math there. Um, So it's, it's a relative thing. You know, for us to increase now by 20 or 40 people, is um, it's much more manageable and easy because we have the systems and we've gone through the the thing and the jump is not as big and it's easier to build people uh, or bring people into the business train them correctly make sure that they're structured but yeah, i mean the first three or four times certainly the journey to 70 or 80 people was panic orientated and if i reflect you know on on myself i'm a very action orientated person um by nature and you know i i I know we'll touch on it a little bit later but you know i founded the business with my partner and co-ceo nick and Nick is very thoughtful, very calm, um, you know, takes uh, takes things on for what they are and looks at the wood for the trees, which is a good balance to my mentality. And what what I've found now, you know, 10, 12 years in is that we've met each other more in the middle in that I've become or trying to become a lot more thoughtful and calm in my approach and realize that rushing things is not always the best thing to do. And he's become sort of, he's realized that, you know, action also needs to be, uh, and that we need to counter that with you know some some thoughtful, thoughtful approaches, but back in the day it was like yeah I guess um you know two cats fighting outside you know it was uh you know every, just chaos so I I I can totally identify with founders that are in that early stage of growth and it's not only just people right it's also every business is different we're in the people business but it could be in logistics manufacturing etc but the principle remains the same you know going from Five to 25, or increasing output by 400% is very stressful. And I think if I could impart any learnings for people that are going through that at the moment, it's just to try and be a bit calmer, realize that this one is never going to end. You know, it's not like you're going to reach some destination and then you're in this nirvana of perfection. Because that is unattainable. Um, it's an unattainable goal. So be be at peace with the fact that things will always be changing, and then try be thoughtful and not as reactive as many entrepreneurs are. And that's my lesson. So you know, often the thing you think is right is actually the thing that's going to make it worse. So step back, think about it, take stock, um, and then try get to the root of the core problem that you're facing. You know, don't plaster over the cracks, but really try to understand what is the base issue um, that you're trying to solve?
0: Yeah, I fully agree with uh, everything you said and what really um, stood out for me, which kind of resolved that uh, points of, okay, well, panic stations in the early stage and now it's like, it's like you're going from five to twenty-five people. Like you, you you're hiring twenty people. You're now going from one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy to one hundred eighty. Again, hiring twenty to thirty people, but the rate of change is a lot smaller now than it was then. Then it's five xing. Now it's now it's more. It's like it's zero point, well zero point three, um, if I'm doing my math there accordingly. So it's a completely different. Uh, it's a far more manageable rate of change where instead of trying to keep up with the business, you're now able to um uh leader from the front so that makes a lot of sense what i still want to know though is that a lot of these i think part of that is the these things were coming at you and a lot of the learnings um you applied in practice being an action orientated person you kind of learned by doing was there any guidance was there any like mentors advisors did you have a board did you do anything that where people were like pointing you and trying to like pull you in the right direction or was this complete trial and error
1: um it was a bit of both You know, we never set out to have a board. We've never had a board per se, but I certainly felt in the first sort of five to seven years of the business that I needed to reach out to people that had done it before, have conversations, ask questions. Um, You know, Brent Spilkin coached us for a number of years and he really helped to, I think, guide us on some of the business basics and get us thinking about that, which is useful. Um, I became really good friends with uh, Mike Stopforth and Craig Rodney from Cerebra, um, who had recently exited Cerebra. And they were, you know, really kind of influential in guiding my thought process and patterns around how things should be set up. Um, And I mean, just very simple questions around how agencies are organized, which I couldn't answer for myself. Um, You know, and there were many people that contributed to that. It was just about having conversations. But I think one of the best things that one of our strengths and weaknesses was that we don't have any agency experiences. So, you know, we kind of also set our own path and did our own thing, tried new ideas some of which failed, some of which were really successful. And, um, you know, we've resulted in this position here. But, I mean, absolutely, I'm just kind of looking back now. We absolutely needed input from people that had done it before. And we actively went and sought out that advice. And it was tremendously helpful. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm happy to
0: hear that because I think it's the um I can't imagine anything because you can't build a business by yourself right and I think the I can't imagine a few things more anxiety inducing than encountering problems you've never done before and it's and this this pressure to feel like I need to solve them all myself I think it's it's yeah uh if if I wanted to be a bit harsh it's delusional but on the other side it's just really uh it's really unfair to yourself to to try and have that expectation um okay so Tom now now at the 100 person mark to the 150 right I think let's 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 go through that journey and I know we, we've looked a lot in terms of the internal states, in terms of how you've shifted operations, reporting lines, you've gone from having people that are Swiss army knives to specialists, you've gone from managers to leaders of functions and business units. Um, and I can, I can see that progression happening uh, continuously. But now what I want to know is what was happening in the, what's, what's been happening in the market um, and how has that shifted through those different um, sizes and scales?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a very broad question. And, you know, the answer to that is also relative to the the changing position of us as an agency. You know, initially, we were very focused on public relations and social media in the early years. And subsequent to that, we've, you know, now started, or not now, I mean, the last five years started broadening out of that into sort of more mainstream, you know, digital and above the line advertising. And so in South Africa, our positioning has had to change and we've had to respond to in um, the shifting sands in the market uh, at, at the same time in South Africa, the advertising landscape has changed dramatically in the last five years. Um, we've seen a significant decline in client budgets uh, due to, you know, external effects that we have no control over, like load shedding, inflation, etc. There simply isn't as much cash in the system for marketers as there was Five years ago, relative to revenue, so that's a challenge. I mean, uh, bud- budgets are really tight, and we've got to be agile and um, you know make the most of what we have, as opposed to asking for more. Um, that's a that's a trend I've definitely observed. The second thing is that you know we have a brain drain in South Africa as well, and I, I don't want to paint a negative picture, but it is challenging. Um, many of the best marketers and agency people in the industry have either retired or have left South Africa in the last five to ten years. And so you have a situation that we find ourselves in where finding really great senior talent has been more difficult than ever. Um, The mentorship that that senior talent would provide to mid and low tier um, uh, agency people that are coming into agencies and growing is being challenged because we have less time and less people to do that. And not as specifically, I think this is an industry wide challenge. Um, and then also, you know, really senior marketers that would sit client side, have also, you know, retired or, or left. And um, what we find is that many of the marketing teams that we work with, um, you know, are, are certainly very smart, very dedicated, very knowledgeable, and want to get the, you know, get, get stuff right. But have become quite reactive. And I think maybe it's a lack of buy-in at a senior level within those large organisations and belief in marketing. And then also, you know, the the sort of uh, departure of those senior individuals um, within organisations. So it, we, we do find ourselves in a difficult place. But I think out of that, um, you know, comes out of comes opportunity, and we've seen certain brands do some really incredible and exciting things, um, you know, with with very little. And I think it's changing the dynamic of the marketing landscape quite considerably. Which I see as an opportunity and probably a good thing. Um, so, so that's the local market. Then, you know, we we work a lot globally as well. We have a London office, which you know, um, and the, the the nature of those conversations is entirely different for us. And we can dive into that if you want. But um, our positioning relative to U.S. and U.K. based agencies for many different reasons is quite distinct, unique, and interesting um, for those marketers. So. I don't want to paint a gloomy picture. It's good. We're doing well. The agency environment is doing well, but there are some headwinds in South Africa that we're having to deal with at the moment.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Metavolve. For founders who are committed to scaling their business, but are tired of wearing 12 different hats. For founders who want to focus on their next stage of growth, but are worried about their customer and employee satisfaction. Metavolve helps you build the structures, systems, and management team that you need to elevate yourself out of operations. It's time to free yourself up to focus on growth. Do it now with the entrepreneurial partners that put your customers and your people at the core of your scaling strategy. Metavolve, empowering leaders, evolving businesses. Yeah, and I think that's also just the the norm of the volatility of the environment we're operating in. Um, Tom, I do want to I want to unpack that in a bit more detail, and I want to I really want to get into this repositioning now because I think you really painted a picture of how the business got to where it is now, what some of the challenges that you're you're facing, what you're thinking about differently strategically. But because I think being CEO and co CEO, that's that's a topic I want to get into, just the the, the co point. Um, but it, it's so it's so much the norm of the way that you think every single day around the business that I really want to tap into that detail um, and almost like educate me on your own thinking. Uh, so you, you've mentioned around this, uh, the brain drain, you've mentioned tighter budgets. You you mentioned this, these, um, these uh, like social shifts uh, uh, in the market, both on your side, both on client side. Um, so I want to know, it's like just the, the answer around thinking about your repositioning, um, and I know this is a, a broad question because you're in different markets, right? So I think we can break it down, maybe geography by geography or, you know, market segment by market segment, however you however you segment your own market and just say, it's like, how are you, why are you needing to think about repositioning now? Um, what's the sense of urgency that's been created that it's like now's the right time to do it? Um, and how, yeah, I think I'll answer that one first and then I'll get into the follow-up questions afterwards.
1: Sure. Um, so on reflection, <clears throat> excuse me, on reflection this year, we realized that, you know, obviously we're very proud of what we've created, but you know, clockwork is a fun well, clockwork is a a, a result of that sort of bootstrap bolt-on, grow, and um expand mentality that we've had for the last 10 years. And we've realized that, you know, to my earlier point there was no sort of kind of like single guiding light that we used when we found the agency, it was just kind of like, let's see if we can build a business and it's become much more successful than we expected. That being said, now we're sort of 10, 12 years in, we've uh, stepped back and recognized that there needs to be a clear point of difference um, that each agency has that can answer particular needs or challenges in a market. And when we ask ourselves, quite honestly, the beginning of this year, what is our point of difference? You know, we couldn't really define any one compelling line. There were many things that we felt were, stre- were, were, were strengths of ours, but um, there wasn't one clear guiding narrative that we were using as an organization. Um, and so we, we're setting out now, and we're in this process to define, you know, more clearly what we want to focus on and where we want to grow and what we believe. I think critically. As an organisation, you know, for the next ten years or so, uh, which has led to some really interesting uh, conversations between Nick and myself and our exco um, around what the future of advertising is in South Africa and globally, where we feel we could play, what our strengths are, what we feel clients need and want, um, and yeah, that's influencing the outcome of that process. So, you know, w- the the direction that we're tending towards, and I think we always have, but it's just um, a bit more specific now, is around the mix of uh, creativity and effectiveness. I think lots of advertisers like to focus on doing sexy work, which is sort of brand orientated. And that's great, you know, but uh, we recognize that we've always, as a business, trying to do work that has a clear ROI attached to it um, in terms of investment, you know, so not just in terms of vanity metrics, like viewing views, engagements, AVE and PR, which I, I can't stand, but um, you know, what's the business result and And how is the work that we're doing towards the lower end of the funnel um, in the advertising mix, actually moving the needle uh, for the organization. So, um, you know, we're, we're exploring that. And I think it's a key to our DNA. And then also realizing that that creativity, uh, you know, there's so much wallpaper out there in advertising, 90% of what gets created is ignored. Is the space is noisier than ever. and, And we realize that in order to be distinct, you have to combine a novel, interesting, thoughtful idea with that effectiveness layer. Um, And so that's the direction that we're heading and we're exploring how that that changes our business and how that changes our products and services and approach. Uh, But yeah, I mean, in in hindsight, it's probably something we should have done a couple of years ago, but I'm happy with the journey that we've taken to get to this point.
0: And from... The outside uh, looking in, uh, it still seems like this was it's still a proactive decision because a lot of businesses, when they get to the point, is like, okay, I need to rethink the differentiation. Is this obviously the the two parts of that is my your, your positioning in the market and your competitive advantages at the same time, and how you view differently within this uh, this environment. That's often only an imperative to rethink when revenue and profits doing this. Right, and it's like we need to consolidate. We need to completely turn around our strategy and business, and we need to go back to square one in order to do do that. Well, for you, you're telling me now it's like you have two or three conversations, and now you're hiring another thirty people. So, so for you, it's not it's not the sense of um, urgency of like we need to completely re go back to the core. So, uh, what what motivated um, the the thought to sit back is like we really need to think about our differentiation, even when things are still going well.
1: Um, yeah, it's a really good question. So I think it's twofold. Um, about three years ago, Nick and I realized that the strategy that we'd been doing to that point had been kind of, uh, top down. So quite autocratic in nature, not really collaborative, not involving our Exco team. To be fair, our Exco team was in its nascent phase and didn't really exist in a meaningful way. Um, it's since is obviously in the last three or four years, really kind of established itself as a guiding force in the business. So, um, what Nick and I introduced, and Nick has really championed this, is a sort of strategic focus every single year to define what our goals are in terms of profitability, revenue, growth, etc. But then also what enables that and what we could do better in the business. Um, and, you know, where we're the environment that we play is moving. So it's not a reactive decision at all. It's a very proactive thing that we do intentionally every year um it's structured we have projects that sit underneath that under a core question that we ask ourselves that we want to address every single year we measure our our impact and 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 performance we report back to each other every single week and so you know nick has, like i said really championed that and it's been tremendously um beneficial for our agency um and it's also gotten people thinking more strategically at a lower level um, to nick and i which is which is great In, in addition to that i mean uh, my natural setting, like I, I'm at my heart and have always been at Clockwork, the person that drives new business and growth in, in the organization. And I think in order to be effective at that, you need to be thinking 6, 12, 18, 24 months in the future. Um, you you can't be too obsessed with the now, although that's important. And so I spend my time today because I'm lucky enough to have a lot of great people that support me and Nick um thinking hard about where clockwork will be in a year or two from now and so it's that strategic process and then that's kind of that, that kind of like always sitting in the future and always thinking about possibilities if you take this decision or that decision fused together um that I think lead us down that path um so yeah I hope that answers the question
0: yeah, it does, and I think a big part of that was the the intention to have those strategic rhythms on that that annual basis, and uh, with that, there's constantly um, there's a clear approach in order to do so, and there's this constant rethinking from the basics and moving outwards in terms of like what are our measurables, what are our objectives, what are our projects. What I want to understand though is like where did this knowledge come from? Right? Are there what, what are the frameworks that you use? Are there any specific methodology? What are the tools? I mean, what, what's what, what's worked for you and what have you like experimented with until such point like this is this is the, the framework that we like for us?
1: Um uh, do you mean strategically? So as part of that strategic yeah. process. Yeah. Yeah. So so one of the best things that happened to us is that Nick went and did his EMBA about three years ago um at UCT. And I think that equipped him with a lot of um, knowledge and understanding around the academics of things like change management, strategy, finance, processes, et cetera. And he's brought a lot of that into the business. So, you know, he has been the person that's really spearheaded and led that strategic process. He loves it, he's good at it, he's thoughtful, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, loves research and spending time thinking about things. And so he's brought a lot of those methodologies into those processes. So um, you know things like design thinking, for example. Um, I'm trying to remember the name for the process that we used uh, this year, but it was more sort of like product um, product design orientated, um, as opposed to service design orientated. So we've we've experimented with four or five different methodologies, and we found that there are strengths and weaknesses to all of them. But he's constantly coming up with new interesting. Find and challenging ways to approach these questions, and I think the best thing that he does in that process is that these methodologies are designed to make you think at a deeper level, as opposed to my default setting, which is like, okay, what seems like the best idea? That's the best idea. Okay, let's go and do that. Um, so this year, for example, we sat for three days around this positioning question, unpacking that using a defined methodology, um, you know, around product design that companies like. Apple, Disney, et cetera, have used as well. And um, it was a completely different way of doing things and very centered around challenging the questions or assumptions um, that, uh, that go into defining what the approach should be. And the outcome was completely unexpected. You know, initially, to be honest with you, we started with the question around, um, you know, how can we enable our growth and, um, and development for the next two or three years um, to sustain our sort of because I mean we have a 2026 ambition it's very defined exactly where we want to be in terms of revenue headcount what kind of clients we want how do we get there um, here's scenario one here's scenario two and well, uh, we sorry actually yeah and we actually ended up blending the scenarios which is not something that you would usually do but the <laughs> all the questions in that process after three days led us to believe that or, or understand that you know, it doesn't have to be a black or white either or you can actually take the best of both and fuse them. And we didn't think that was even possible to begin with. So kudos to Nick. He's amazing at it. And it's all very intentional and well-structured. Yeah.
0: Sounds like the short answer is go get an MBA. That's that's your, that's your solution. Um, yeah. We, but, no big deal. <laughs> I no big deal. At all. No, but I said that flippantly and I, I'm, I really like the, thank you for the candor and the answer there because the point is that there's so many strengths, weaknesses to different methodologies. There's so many tools. There's everything from like like SWOT through to scenario planning. As like you gave an example there. There's so many different approaches, and it's about the fact that it's um, the, the the main guiding thinking for you is around this is our strategy. What is our like focal question? What is our ambition? And how do we go and get there? And what are these frameworks that can you know kind of provide this discipline towards our thinking that can allow us to get there. But it's like, we, we pick a, a part of it. And I think it's that ownership of, um, and it's also clearly that it's a practice, right? You've been doing this for a couple of years. So you figure out what, what, what works and in early stages, like we've got to do what the methodology says and got to run, we'll run with the tools. So now it's like, these are lenses and we run with them, um, them ourselves. Epic Tom. So what else? So going back to the positioning question, right? So you, 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 you mentioned that, um, it's obviously very different between like the UK um and and Africa so what are the different geographies that you play in and how is this affecting your thinking around positioning uh in the different in the different areas
1: yeah uh also a a super question and maybe if you're to indulge me for a second there's a point I wanted to make on the prior question which I think is really important because I've painted a picture that you know we're really smart and really thoughtful and we do all these great things I think we do a lot of those things well but, you know, I, I want whoever's going to listen to this who might be at an earlier stage to know that we also make mistakes. We also fall off the wagon. Like, you know, we had a giant pitch in May that took our eye totally off of this ball. And, you know, we've had to step back and say that was a mistake. Um, and we learn from it and we move on. And we don't beat ourselves up about it. But I don't want to give the sort of like podcast impression that every business is perfect and like a bigger business than mine. What am I doing wrong? Because they're doing it so right. Like, no, no one's doing it perfectly. Um, you know, we work with some really, really large corporations, some of the biggest in the world. And my insight is that you expect things to be running perfectly at those organizations. And they make the same mistakes that we do. So I think, you know, one of the th- points I want to make is like, be fair to yourself, do your best, but also understand that there will be moments in time when you're not Doing exactly what you think you should be doing, as per that guy on the podcast or this book that you've read. It's cool. Step back, take the learning, and move on. Um, so I just wanted to make that point. And thank
0: you. I'm going to park the positioning one because I actually want to go deeper on that. I appreciate the, the authenticity and, and humility there. So I think it's, uh, it's um, and even the way that you worded that is reinforced. It's like, listen, it's not all sunshine and roses are perfect. I think if I can maybe go one level deeper, can you tell me some of the reasons why you're imperfect? Why you're still struggling? What what's kind of going wrong? You mentioned that that pitch that was a mistake. What are these other points to kind of um, that we can provide some relatability or maybe some uh, some perspective? Is that these, these are the kind of problems that you are probably going to encounter throughout your journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to be open about it. You know, there there are always challenges. There's push and pull in every organization. I mean you know, we we had a huge opportunity in May on that pitch and uh, we threw everything at it. And I think we did well. Sadly, we didn't, we weren't successful, but I was still proud of what we put together. That being said, though, it took an enormous enormous amount of energy, time and focus away from the people that were running the business. And in hindsight, you know, I think we need to probably um, reflect and and regroup on, you know, next time we have an opportunity like that, how we treat it and, um, you know, how we continue to maintain other things in the business and, not take our eye off of what's critically important. I mean, I'll I'll give you another example on some of the things that we're grappling at the moment with. Um, Last year was a profitable year for us. It wasn't as profitable as we'd hoped. Um, The result, the reason for that is that we had a bit of um, headcount bloats in South Africa. A few, uh, too many people and not enough work. And um, there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, I won't bore you with the detail. And this happens from time to time. Like I said, sometimes you have um, more people than you have work, things change or you've hired ahead of a curve that didn't quite um, uh, materialize as, as you would hope hoped for. So we found ourselves in that situation. And so the uh, approach that we took to rectifying that was to um, allow the business to grow into those shoes, which we've done. So the South African business continued to grow, uh, but we didn't uh, hire any people. Um, we allowed the headcount that we had, um, to do that work and raise our profitability to regular numbers. And we're very happy with what with, with where we're at. I thought that that would be a very cut and dry approach, right? But there are numerous sort of bounce-offs that you don't expect in terms of the creaking of your processes and systems in reaction to all of the new work. Um, you know, maybe some, uh, some cultural, uh, not, I wouldn't say dissatisfaction, but sort of a loss of cultural identity around you know, running around and just trying to get the work done. And then also internal conversations about the importance of profit- profitability versus, you know, chasing a purpose or, you know, a set of values or being strategic, you know, because strategy and profitability don't always go hand in hand, like a strategic outcome might result in you losing profitability in the short term um, in order to achieve a bigger goal. So we're still very much in a space after 12 years where the impact of our decisions isn't always directly clear. I think we have a much better understanding of the outcomes of certain decisions, but you know, at the end of the day, we're doing our best, and we rectify on the fly, and we address issues when they come up. We don't let them languish. Um, but it's not—it's not you know all sunshine and roses. There are, are challenges every single day that we have to deal with.
0: I think that there's there's two things I want to pick out. There, the one is just the the nature of decisions that you're making, and also the the larger you become. Um, there's always some kind of trade-off or some kind of consequence and impact. It's like the whole principle you can't you can't make everyone happy. And the thing is, like, yeah. there's still like you're pointing out these learning points. It was like, okay, well, that's not that. That's actually not even. It's not just a, a, an inherent consequence. That's actually not the outcome that we wanted in terms of our culture and in terms of this like psychological contract we have with our people. Uh, this might have eroded trust a little bit. We need to work to get that back. Uh, and so there's these unforeseen consequences, but it's it's the nature of making big decisions. Um, and I think the point is, obviously, the bigger you get, the bigger decisions um, that are made. And that's, that's I think that's something that's part of it is, um, and I, I like what you said, uh, the, whole, the whole reason why you're saying this is just, again, being gentle and kind with yourself, right? So it's like there, yeah. there's, there's, there's no perfect business because there's also no perfect decision. Um, and then on the other side of it is, and I love this because it's so entrepreneurial. Is chasing the opportunity, and the opportunity—the bigger you get, the bigger the opportunities become. And the point is, it's like, hey, we've got this clear path, but it's like, oh, that's so shiny, I'm going to go there, and it's like, and then you look back, it's like they completely pulled us off track. Um, And the thing is, it doesn't matter if you're if you're—it doesn't matter if you're like a a five-person business or a 150-person business. That's that's just what it means to be an entrepreneurship.
1: And it happens all the time. I mean, two or three years ago, we 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 created a very clear sort of set of a, a guidelines for ourselves on which clients would be best suited to work with our agency. And you know, different agencies are best suited to work with different kinds of clients based on where they are in their maturity, based on how they're structured, the size, et cetera. And that's fine. Um, it's not to say that one client is less valuable than the other, it's just that we aren't suited for that business. And we 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 followed that pretty rigidly and with success for the last two or three years. About six months ago, we took on a piece of work where we didn't drink our Kool-Aid and it didn't go well. And, you know, I'm saying this because I want people to know that this happens, you know, and that's okay. We're like, you know, we stepped back, we said we made a mistake there and, you know, we won't make it again. It wasn't fair to the client. It wasn't fair to us and our people. Um, so even when you put these things in place, sometimes you chase after an opportunity that isn't right for you. You have to be very, very careful about what you do and take on. I think it's more about what you say no to than what you say yes to in my experience especially in the agency space um and so we're trying to be and have been much more considered about that in the last two or three years yeah
0: thank you thank you for your openness i think there's a there's a lot in that that's um uh just like super valuable but also really real um so i appreciate it uh i think so it's okay so to pull back to the positioning one just tell me these differences between the geographies and how the the thinking is Different, like individually but then also how you integrate that
1: yeah um so in south africa blockwick is considered a sort of medium to large agency and you know we go toe to toe on really big pitches for blue chip or multinational corporations with the likes of ogilvy king james um joe public all the big big all the big players and that requires a mindset and approach in and of itself which is to constantly try and be at the forefront of the conversation, uh, to be positioning the South African agency as a creative leader, as a really compelling um, proposition to very, very smart marketers who know exactly what they're doing with large budgets behind them. And so that's the proposition in South Africa, and that's the space that we find ourselves in every day here. In the UK and the US, it's very different. So, you know, in the UK and the US, South Africa as a whole would be considered a small agency, a very small agency. Um, and certainly, I mean, our London office is about 12 or 15 people. Um, you know, that's tiny in a space where there's a thousand agencies in one city. And so, one, it's much more competitive. Two, we have no real foothold in terms of reputation. And um, three, we don't have big, shiny offices in Farringdon that um, you know people can visit that have 300 people inside them. Um, we have a tiny office in Farringdon, but we do have an office, which is quite. <laughs> uh, so, so so we've had to work quite hard at our proposition. Like the work that we do there is no different to the work that we do here. But the compelling um sort of approach that we've always taken with our international work is that South Africa has this amazing creative pedigree. We have an incredible workforce of advertising professionals that know how to do incredible work really quickly, that South African spirit and entrepreneurship is something that is recognized and appreciated in the world in that we are solutions orientated, we work very hard. And I'm not just saying that about us. I'm saying that about us as a nation. We are recognized for that. Um, We're very industrious. And so, you know, but then in addition, the nice thing is that, and, you know, it's just a hard reality is that we're able to provide the same service in South Africa to a UK or US client, but at a much lower rate. And so the proposition there is that we can do more with less, or rather we can, um, we can use the same budget, but obviously deliver um, considerably more work and have more people against it. And so what we found is that that's been really compelling. And it's a really interesting proposition because clients for the same budget get to have fully dedicated, fully resourced teams working only on their account and their and their projects, as opposed to working with a UK agency based in London where they might get a third of someone's time. And they love that. But it's a very difficult headspace to sit in because on one hand, you know, in South Africa, we're trying to stay with the pack that's leading the charge. And then on the other hand, in the US and the UK, um, it's a very different sort of uh, efficiency and um, sort of cost benefit conversation, but still driving good creative work. We don't want to undermine that. So I find that, I found that a little bit challenging to kind of um, wrap my head around, but the opportunity I feel for South African agencies to, um, I hate the word, but it's a useful one to offshore services to, you know, large first world organizations uh, is massive. And I think it is underutilized. And, It feels good to bring pounds and dollars back to the country. It feels good to give people jobs on international brands that they would otherwise have no opportunity to work for in South Africa, doing some really interesting stuff in countries like Japan, China, Canada, Brazil, Mexico, UK, France, US, et cetera. Um, Yeah, but uh, it's a challenging thing to straddle, for sure. Yeah,
0: Uh, what's what's always worked for me in that thinking is that your You can be the exact same business, but your competitive advantages depend on the market that you're playing in. And therefore, because of that, your value proposition is slightly different. So obviously now in, in the South African market, it's going to be around... Uh, probably do, what's going to be differentiation in terms of quality. It's like what what, what sets us apart in these specific areas, a like niche or broad segment, um, and potentially closeness of relationship. Like we've got these clients that we work with time and time again, so the brand affiliation is there. But then you go into the, the, the UK and the point there, it's now cost leadership, right? And that's the competitive, competitive advantage accordingly. It's like it's exact same business, but because now compared to the, how what the competition looks like in these two markets, we're now um, positioning ourselves to our clients in those markets differently because the the thing is they never care about the business. They care about themselves, right? So it's like, so what's the value that I'm going to be seeing getting here compared to any other substitute or rival that I can possibly get? And like, why should I pick you? And it's just that depending. And it's like showing these different like faces to, to these different customers. Um, yeah. This is why I love strategy. Um all right, so 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 you've so you've unpacked that. Uh, unpack your leadership team to me, right? So the fact you've like 12 person office in uh, in the UK, uh, obviously one hundred fifty person business overall. Talking about the exco, the manco, right? How how is that leadership structured and organized?
1: Yeah, so they're two distinct businesses. Uh, we have a UK business and a South Africa business. <clears throat> I'll start with our South Africa business, as it's a lot larger and obviously does a lot of the UK's work um, in terms of an outsourcing agree- agreement. So South Africa has uh, myself and Nick that over. Well, we oversee both businesses as group CEOs, and um, then South Africa has an EXO team of about ten people, uh, each of whom runs uh, their respective team uh, and are super senior experienced uh, individuals in their own right. And so, you know that that EXO team has been pretty much the same uh, with a couple of additions for the last sort of three years or so. And they're responsible for having one foot in the strategic realm around how we grow the business, we, how we perform financially and otherwise and how we position ourselves. And then also how we run on a day-to-day basis and um, operationalize the work that we have. Um, so it's it's a it's a tough job for sure, but um, you know we meet regularly every single week, we discuss challenges, we run the strategic projects that I mentioned earlier. And it's kind of a closed unit that um, is responsible for running the South African operation. The UK operation is a little bit different. Obviously, it's smaller and um, you know quite separate from South Africa in its culture and its approach. Um, I love watching it because it is that fifteen-person agency that we were ten years ago, although it's backed by one hundred and thirty-five other people and um, quite a lot more money than we had. Um, you know, it's nice to watch them in our startup phase and um, over there much flatter. So, you know, we obviously have uh, 12, 15 people. Uh, Richard and Marcus are our co-CEOs there. Richard is our chief strategy officer. Marcus is our client lead and MD. And um, sorry, other way around. Marcus, chief strategy and Richard, um, MD. And they're responsible for finding business, operationalizing the business that we work with, and then engaging with our main client over there, which is Xbox, uh, with whom they hold a very strong relationship. So um, it's very bootstrapped in the UK versus South Africa a lot more i don't want to call it a corporate but a lot more formalized and structured
0: sure fascinating um just the co-ceo thing right because i mean obviously there's just that that the, the md client lead and then, then strategy um makes sense but like just because on paper you look two people same job titles like how do two people do the same job um so like why co-ceo in the first place and how do you how do you make it work
1: Um, Yeah, well, I guess that's an anachronism from Nick and I probably. And it's, uh, you know, Nick and I founded the business and we both have our own strengths and and weaknesses and we complement each other well and we know what the other one is focused on um, at any given time. So the co-CEO role felt very right and natural. It also, it gives you a backstop as I found as a leader in that you've got someone one to talk to that is facing the same challenges and and, um, difficulties and questions as you are. And also you have someone that's a backstop. You know, being a single CEO is, you know, there's benefits to it for sure, but it's also quite a lonely post because the backstops at you and only you. And it's nice to have someone to do that in the trenches with. And the same thinking was applied on the UK agency. Initially, you know, Marcus was hired as chief strategy officer. Richard was hired as MD and they kind of morphed into doing the same thing with you know uh, different flavors and so they felt and and we felt they brought it to us that the co-CEO approach might be a good one and we found that it's been quite successful to be honest with you so it's unconventional one absolutely and there are downsides to the structure I don't want to act like it's perfect but for us it works and um, I really enjoy being co-CEO with Nick. Um, yeah, it's 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 rewarding, fulfilling. And it's, I mean, we talk, I mean, he's in Cape Town, but we talk all day, every day. He's my best mate. And it's just great to be able to have someone next to you uh, in that foxhole, you know, when you're fighting fires.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think the, the difference in thinking there is instead of just, because everyone's so used to CEO seeing as a single role. I think from your perspective, it was more like there's a leadership function that needs to be fulfilled in this company, how do we best fulfill that function? And then the answer is like we need, we need, we want two people in that because there are different components of that CEO role. And how do we complement one another? So I think looking at it from a function perspective instead of a, a job perspective really um, shifts that thinking. Tom, I'm just conscious of time, right? I would love to get into what the future looks like, but unfortunately, well, besides it looking super bright, um, uh, we don't have uh, uh, we don't have the time to get in there. But I just have one final question for you, and that's. What's the one question that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you that you'd like to answer now?
1: Well, you've been a very uh, you've been very thorough, um, so I'm going to have to kind of step back and think about that a little bit. But um, what's the one question you haven't asked me? Um, I'd probably ask me if I would get into advertising at all today. Um... Cool, <laughs> go for it. No. No, I'm joking. Um, listen, advertising is a tough is a tough industry, and I think in any industry where you're selling hours and people's time, it is in, inherently stressful. My, you know, my, I'm just reflecting now. My my father is in manufacturing, which is a very very difficult job. Um, you know, forging metal and stuff is a hell of a thing, but it is far more predictable and manageable in many ways than our industry. Advertising is fast paced, the relationships are, and the contracts, frankly, are short term. Um, you know, if you lose a big client, you're left with people whose livelihoods depend on you. And, um, you know, it's it's a really fun, interesting space. It's tremendously rewarding. It gets my creative juices flowing. But I would say anyone starting an agency today needs to think quite differently. And they are, there are examples of this, quite differently about the structure of you know what people believe an agency should be. We we've been fortunate in that we've been able to build a large business in the space, um, and and now that it's established, we have a foothold. But trying to get into it now with AI, um, you know, freelance outfits, dynamic um, sort of uh, contracts, uh, you know, clients internalizing teams, for example, uh, at the organisations. it's 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 far more difficult and so i'd say you know uh, think about the operational model if you're going to start an agency quite deeply and and try think out of the box that's probably the advice that i would give to myself if i was starting an agency now
0: sure what a what a what a way to i feel like it's almost like we've we've sharpened the funnel to the end of the conversation you ended off in terms of like boom go broader again and go really really think hard about it but tom thank you so much for your time given someone who sells time i'm grateful that you that you've you've shared it uh with me um and yeah uh all the best for um your continuous evolution uh with clockwork and i can't wait to see how the business continues to grow
1: thanks cameron it's been great i really enjoyed it
0: your yeah, conversation with so many practical nuggets that to, to pull it out i'd feel like i'd be just repeating the conversation so i want to just pick out a couple of themes that really stood out for me and the the one is just around having that that regular strategy rhythm and constantly figuring out, you know, what works for you in order to map out the strategy of your business. But doing that on a quite frequent, regular and quite a disciplined basis, um, because the consequence of that is the the constant rethinking of your assumptions, looking at your markets, looking at how's that you're going to be growing, looking at internal environments and constantly being in this place of really zooming out and um, seeing the woods from the trees, I think is very helpful. Um, but even with that it's like it's the the point of entrepreneurs being entrepreneurs and when big opportunities come your way we're going to take our chance to take advantage of them but also most fascinating is the fact that it's like sometimes those don't align with the strategy and we'll say yes anyway and there's two things that will happen is either it doesn't land and we realize waste all this time and energy that could have been on the strategy we had in the first place or it does land and it actually doesn't end up going well for our clients, for ourselves and our business, um, as much as we could have hoped because it wasn't part of what we normally do. So just that point around having that clear focus and regular rhythm of strategy, but then the the discipline that must bring is is saying no to certain things, even when they seem like incredible opportunities. I think that stands stands out to me. And then the the other point is just these, because we went through it so quickly, but just this evolution that a business goes through, um, but more specifically is like how it can get a little bit less. Although the business gets more complex, those those um, increases become less complex over time just because the rate of change starts decreasing. So I think if you if we're able to get through that first like scale up period of like up to the, like person one hundred, I think that's where it's like it's so it's so messy, it's so difficult uh, in, in any scale but just because again that example of going five to twenty five, you're five X 5x, five xing your business um and the rates of change and level complexity is so intense that there's so much that needs to change but that kind of smooths out over time but on the back side of that is the the nature of the the decisions and problems that you're dealing with also just become bigger and the, the it's more like the consequences and long-term thinking of those decisions um uh, become more profound and uh more unseen and you, and you start making these judgment calls about what's what's right and, and what's wrong but those are my main takeaways. Um, I'd love to hear yours. So if you wanna, you know, drop us a comment, uh, let us know what, uh, what stood out for you, but also any kind of questions you would, would have wanted to ask and anyone you think I should chat to, would love to hear, get those responses. And yeah, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening I'll see you soon.